Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 110, Stephen V. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Hey everybody, today's Pope Stephen V was a member of an aristocratic family who had fairly extensive church connections. His father had placed him in the care of a relative who was a bishop named Zachary, who was also the papal librarian and who oversaw his education from a young age. Pope Adrian II ordained him a subdeacon and later a deacon, and Pope Marinus I, who seems to have been fairly close with the young deacon Stephen, ordained him a priest and assigned him as the cardinal priest of the Church of Santi Quattro Coronati, where he served from some time, gaining a particular reputation for holiness. Now, if you remember from last episode, St. Adrian III died in 885 while he was on the road. In his absence, he appointed the Bishop of Pavia, who was a man named John, who was also the imperial representative in the city, to be the caretaker of Rome in his absence. Rome was apparently undergoing a, a plague of locusts or some sort of agricultural issue, and so the people were suffering quite a bit. And as soon as the news came that Adrian III died, John of Pavia called together the people and the clergy for a papal election. Stephen was chosen unanimously, particularly because of his holiness, which the people thought would help end the plague that they had been facing. And he was elected immediately and crowned and consecrated right away without seeking the approval of the Holy Roman Emperor Charles the Fat. Now, this was a mistake. It upset the emperor since it was his right to approve papal elections. Though we have seen in the past, some didn't go for him for consecration, probably because there was a lot of other things going on in the Holy Roman Emperor, but this time, now he had time to look at it. And so he sent his imperial chancellor, a man named Lutuard, to Rome, and he had him investigate, and in the end, he wanted him to depose Stephen V. But once he got to Rome, he saw how unanimous the election was, and how holy Stephen was, and how revered he was by the Roman people, that he wrote to Charles and said that the election should really be confirmed. And so with that out of the way, we're all on the same page, and Stephen V is unambiguously the Pope. Now, as Pope, there were some pressing items of concern on his desk right away. And the first was this constant recurring threat of the Saracens, who were still in possession of parts of southern Italy and most of Sicily. Like the popes before him, he sent letters to Charles the Fat, begging him to come down and kick out the Saracens. Use your army. You've got the troops. Come on down. Take care of these guys. Now, Charles did so, but as he was marching south, he got news that other raiders, the Vikings, were raiding his territory in northern France on the other end of the empire. So he had to turn around and entrust the rest of the work against the Saracens to his chancellor. But unfortunately, this didn't seem to really go anywhere. He had lost all the momentum of having the emperor with him. And now that there's another group of troops raiding in the north, he's going to have to split up his army. There was, however, someone fighting the Saracens, someone we met two episodes ago who was infamous for menacing the church and then seeking pardon, and that's Guy III, the Duke of Spoleto. Guy was trying to get back into the good graces of the emperor and perhaps even the pope and to expand his own influence in Italy after his nephew, Guy II. And I know that's weird. The older guy is Guy III and the younger guy is Guy II. But Guy II was, the, was Duke first, then Guy III, his uncle, took the throne. Guy II had been defeated by the Emperor Charles the Fat, if you remember from a couple episodes ago. And if you also remember, during the pontificate of John VIII, Guy II had invaded the Papal States and was menacing Rome, which prompted John to call Charles the Fat down to protect Rome in the first place. 
Well, that guy died in 883, and this guy, his uncle, who was complicit in all these rebellions we've seen thus far, inherited the Duchy of Spoleto, and thus is Guy III. Fast forward to 887. Charles the Fat was deposed in a coup led by his nephew, and the Holy Roman Emperor broke into several kingdoms. And Guy III wanted at least Italy, and possibly also France, and he meant to get after them. And he had a trump card in the fight, and that was that he was the closest one to Rome. And if you want to get crowned king of something, or especially Holy Roman Empire, you usually need the Pope. So Guy had an army on Rome's doorstep. So when Guy basically won the kingship of northern Italy, Stephen was forced to crown Guy III the Holy Roman Emperor, and he did so in February of 891. In the middle of all of this, it was clear that the Carolingian Empire was basically falling apart, and the Pope needed help, but none could come. The Saracens were still a threat, and the Pope wrote not only to Guy, but also to the nephew of Charles the Fat, whose name was Arnulf, who had deposed him, and he wrote to the Byzantine Emperor, requesting help to defend Rome. He's writing to everyone. There's, there's a need for some strong leader to come and take care of these raiders. The papal treasury was basically empty after the famines and the war, and so when the Pope needed to repair buildings in Rome almost immediately after his election, he had to pay for it out of his own pocket from his father's wealth. But no one was able to come help him. Now, speaking of the Byzantine Emperor, we have a letter from him that arrived early on in Stephen's pontificate, noting that they didn't want to recognize Pope Marinus I's legitimacy since he'd been a bishop elsewhere before his election. Stephen wrote back a very strong letter saying that it was Phocius, who is a troublemaker, who was causing all this discord, and that the West really just couldn't deal with him anymore because of all this history with Phocius and Rome that we've talked about in past episodes. Now, this was a very strongly worried letter. It could have caused another breach between the East and the West. But by the time that letter reached Constantinople, Basil the Macedonian, the emperor, was dead, and his son, Leo IV, was emperor. And when the letter arrived, Leo IV took it to heart, and in 887 he put Phocius on trial, and he eventually deposed him as Patriarch of Constantinople. Phocius was exiled to Armenia, which is the last we will hear from him. He will die in exile. And while eventually rehabilitated, and he's now recognized as a saint by the Eastern Orthodox, at this time he's pretty much a menace to the West. Now Stephen V was consulted in this deposition, but he wrote back saying that he would need more information before he could make a final decision. And when the response came back, Stephen had already died, and his successor would have to make the final, final call. So we might hear a little bit of Phocius in the future. One sad note from Stephen's pontificate, and that is that the work of St. Methodius in Moravia seems to have been in part undone through Stephen's agency. Previous popes had approved of St. Methodius's use of the Slavonic in the liturgy, but as soon as he died, the German factions in the area began lobbying very hard to make Latin the only language of the liturgy and Stephen decided to follow in their lead. So Slavonic was outlawed in the liturgy, and consequently many of St. Methodius's converts turned to the Eastern Orthodox, and specifically to neighboring Bulgarian church, which welcomed them in. And now there's still churches that celebrate Mass in Old Church Slavonic. We have records of Pope Stephen's personal holiness, his care of the sick and the orphans, his desire to purify the liturgy in Rome. He preached personally about making sure that one is silent and attentive rather than talking about other things during Mass. He was certainly known for his piety and his time spent daily at Mass and prayer. And he died on September 14, 891, and was buried in the portico of St. Peter's Basilica. He was succeeded by someone we've already met in several episodes, and that is Formosus. But we will have to wait for his dramatic reentry into our story next week. 
Thanks for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or you can find us on iTunes. There you can leave us a review or subscribe. Thank you and God bless you.